Martin McDonough has a new movie, which means it's time for another foul-mouthed reflection on guilt and grief. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today I am talking about uh, Martin McDonough's filmography. And Martin McDonough, for those of you who don't know, is the fellow behind movies like In Bruges and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And he has a new one coming out this week, and at least in wider release, which is The, the Banshees of Inishirin, uh, which is, and I may be pr- mispronouncing that, um, open let me know if it, if it needs to be changed uh which is uh reuniting with uh, his former uh co-stars in other films including uh colin farrell and uh, brandon gleason so yeah and um something i found interesting was just kind of going over his old filmography as i tend to because he doesn't produce movies that much um i found it was kind of interesting just kind of this themes uh, the themes that kind of come up uh, morality creation and also guilt and grief so without further ado let's get started Filmmaker Martin McDonough has a reliable pattern. Every four to five years, McDonough will release a film, either short or feature length. It will feature at least one actor he's worked with before, if not many, and receive accolades from critics and divisive reactions from audiences. Thematically, McDonough deals in a lot with a lot of the same ideas, including the tense relationship between artists and their inspiration, see Seven Psychopaths, morality in Bruges, and almost always guilt, grief, and how the two intertwine. So, in preparation for his latest movies, The Banshees of Insurin, I am going to attempt to weave through McDonough's films and what they have to say, or not say, about grief and guilt. So let's start with Six Shooter. Of the four films of McDonough's I've seen, Six, uh, Six Shooter is easily my least favorite. The film tracks the chaotic train ride of a grieving man, hours removed from his wife's death, who encounters a foul-mouthed young man and mourning parents. The movie's main point is that grief, especially when combined with guilt, can push people towards oblivion. Considering that everybody with a notable role in the film is dealing with the death of a loved one, you'd presume that somehow this group would be able to bond and perhaps bring each other up. Instead, our four leads bounce off of one another violently and push towards their end. The only slight comfort anyone can seem to conjure is either darkly funny laughs or a guaranteed way to make the pain end, make the pain end or both. The grieving mother, perhaps egged on by the young man, throws herself off the train to make the pain of her son's suicide end. Her husband ends his day as the only living member of his family. The young man who has been talking a big game and laughing at his own jokes in everyone's dour mood admits that his mother is dead, because he killed her, and goes out guns blazing in a shootout with police. And finally, our lead character, played by Brendan Gleeson, finally makes his way home with the titular six-shooter to kill his wife's pet rabbit and then himself. He's able to kill the rabbit, but the gun fails when he pulls the trigger against his temple, and then it misfires as it lands on the ground. It's all a cruel joke, and even seeking oblivion seems pointless. Grief can and does feel this way, like an overwhelming force that pushes us to be self-destructive, but this nihilistic approach of how it can and destroy people isn't for me. Which brings us to his next movie, In Bruges. McDonough's feature film debut is a cult favorite, in no small part thanks to its intentionally inappropriate dialogue delivered to perfection by Colin Farrell, and how it drifts between the darkly funny and deeply sad, sometimes in the same scene. And in many ways, the film is almost feels like a response and rebuttal to Six Shooter's view of grief and guilt. 
Colin Farrell's Ray is a hitman who is set to li- who is sent to lay low in Bruges after a botched job. What we find out is that Ray accidentally killed a child in the midst of a hit, and the guilt of that is making him painfully unhappy and suicidal. But Ray's cohort, Brendan Gleeson's Ken, who has j- also just been given the order to kill Ray, stops him. Of course, there is some dark humor to be found in a hitman who is about to be killed by another hitman getting stopped from killing himself by the other hitman assigned to kill him. But as the film progresses, the film seems to argue that guilt and grief can be overcome. When Ken and Ray's furious boss Harry arrives and demands an explanation, Ken says that Ray still has a chance to be better, while he and Harry are set in their ways. Though Harry disagrees, Ken's insistence gives Ray his best chance at survival, and possibly redemption, at the cost of his own life. By the film's end, Ray fights his hardest to stay alive, and as he drifts into unconsciousness or perhaps the afterlife, he wishes to live as he's carried to an ambulance. In In Bruges, guilt and grief are portrayed as feelings, not to be escaped, but to be faced. And death shouldn't be faced with fear, but with calm and acceptance. Which brings us next to Seven Psychopaths. In Seven Psychopaths, the story's primary thrust is less about the two ideas we've been talking about than it is about our need for violent catharsis and drama, both in our own lives and the media we consume, like movies. It's like a distant cousin of adaptation, but with a far less meta and much more cynical and violent sense of humor. But in the guts of this movie, that is all about a screenwriter with writer's block, are strong messages about how people cover up grief and guilt with violence and how ineffectual that violent impulse is. In the film, this attitude is represented by three characters. The mad-as-hell criminal Charlie, played by Woody Harrelson, a former killer of serial killers named Zachariah, played by Tom Waits, and a formerly violent criminal turned more passive man named Hans, played by Christopher Walken. Each man represents a point in the transition from anger and vengeance to acceptance when it comes to grief and guilt. Charlie is that anger personified. After his dog is held for ransom, Charlie becomes vengeance, <laughs> vengeance incarnate, tearing his way through everyone who might possibly be connected to his missing Shih Tzu. He is so overcome by rage that he doesn't think twice about killing an old woman in a cancer ward. And for what? In the end, he goes to jail. Plenty of people are dead, and his dog isn't his anymore. In between, we have Zachariah slash Dexter, who spent his his life killing serial killers. What's fascinating about Zachariah is that he has no regrets about the killing, but plenty of regrets about how the woman who helped him and got away, Maggie. But instead of taking up that issue himself, he pushes Colin Farrell's screenwriter Marty to tell his story and reach out to Maggie on his behalf. Or else. But once he's viewed his part in the series of horrific stories about death and murder, Zachariah decides maybe he needs to let Marty live and take action on its own. He's starting to push past that anger and on to his own guilt and grief. And finally, we have Christopher Walken's Hans. When we first meet Hans, he comes across as an affable and faithful old man dealing with a terrible situation. His wife is dying from cancer. But that's only part of Hans's story. We find out that the Quaker, a violently vengeful man who once sought out his daughter's killer, as described by Marty, is based on a younger Hans. Hans is now miles away from this violent, angry man, and instead of dishing out death or seeking conflict, is done resisting. When an armed gunman faces him down and demands he puts his hands up, he says no. It's a response so illogical that the gunman stumbles over himself, and he insists, but I've got a gun, and Hans responds, I don't care before he is fatally shot. Hans is the closest a Martin McDonough character comes to peace. A man going out peacefully on his own terms without resistance and without fear. 
no longer owned by the hurt of his loss or the guilt that his life may have ended his wife's life early. It isn't gray at all, he says, as he slips away, a worry he had had about his wife's passing. But five years later, McDonough had the biggest success ever, with his characters completely consumed by what they should have done and what's already happened in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, also known as Three Billboards for short, is the most successful Martin McDonough film to date, and also the most controversial. It was, po it was popular with many critics who praised performances across the board and earned over $150 million at the box office. It received seven Oscar nominations and two wins, one for Frances McDormand in the lead role, Sam Rockwell in the supporting role, and it also courted a fair amount of controversy for the portrayal of Rock Rockwell's character, a racist police officer who openly abuses his power. And I completely understand the critiques. McDonough as a writer is someone who focuses on big ideas through a small cast of characters, which works well when you're portraying a woman trying to find peace after the rape and murder of her daughter. McDormand's Mildred Hayes is a is broken glass in human form, ready to crunch, hurt, and stick into anyone who gets into her orbit or tries to ingest her. Consequences be damned. Though her anger is justified, it has shifted her into an unapproachable human being. And when her sons confronts her about her behavior, we learn that this anger might be a smokescreen, because her last talk with her daughter was a vicious argument, and perhaps one in a long line of them. Where the movie stumbles is with Jason Dixon, an openly racist police officer played by Sam Rockwell. The movie portrays Dixon as a young man who learned everything the wrong way and is capable of being more. Sadly, he gives in to all of his worst instincts at first. His life isn't what he, he wanted it to be, so when people don't listen to him, he takes out all his rage on them. Unfortunately, what the film and Dixon don't comprehend is that general, the generational damage and impact that racism and abuse by police officer does, or how it affects a community or marginalized people over time. So while Dixon looking to solve the murder of Mildred's daughter is an admirable shift, it's not enough to clean his slate, or the towns. Both of these angry-as-hell people masking their hurt with anger find common ground through a mutual friend and a common mission. The friend is Bill Willoughby. The deceased sheriff. Willoughby comes across as a fence sitter, a man who's looking to keep things steady in his sleepy small town and keep as many people happy as he can. He wants billboards down because they're upsetting and he wants his deputy, Dixon, to be a better cop and human. In life, he's unable to do that. Neither Mildred nor Dixon back down and both lash out violently in anger. But in death, a suicide to avoid a slow descent into a terminal pancreatic cancer battle, Willoughby, Willoughby gently pleads for a different approach. He absolves Mildred of any semblance of guilt and admits that he paid to keep the billboards up. He tells Dixon to lead with love, which eventually leads to Mildred and Dixon doing something they haven't done in a long time. They try to be better and even work together. And when, the pair, and when they pair up to find and kill a rapist, they let the walls down. Mildred admits that it was her action that led to Dixon's injuries. Dixon says he knows and seemingly has let it go. When Mildred says we'll see what happens, it doesn't feel like an open-ended ending. It's an admission that this murder won't solve anything. The grief and guilt re will remain because you don't get over it. You just learn to live with. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.